Awesome. Thank you. You can be seated. Thanks for coming today. So glad you're here. I'm pretty excited about uh, what I get to share with you today because I think it's a, a powerful piece of truth that uh, can really help us live our best lives. We're in a series called Better. Uh, Better is a journey through the book of Hebrews, and it's built on the idea that Jesus is better, (laughs) better than the angels. He's a better high priest. He has given us a better covenant and acted on better promises, uh, that we have a better hope. Uh, And so the idea is that uh, when you and I will allow Jesus into our world, uh, our lives will get better. And all about our lives will get better. So today, I want to talk about this, this idea, this concept that healing flows through wounds. Healing flows through wounds. There's a certain kind of art, uh, Japanese art, that's called kintsugi art. And uh, kintsugi art is uh, the art of repairing uh, broken pieces of pottery by taking uh, a lacquer that is made from either gold or silver or platinum, and it's a, it's a, it's a pretty refined process. And as a philosophy, kintsugi art uh, treats the breakage and the repair of a piece of pottery as the history of the object as something that should not be disguised, but something that should be embraced. And, uh, and, and those people who would adhere to this and love this kind of uh, artwork and pottery work uh, would actually deem a piece of art that is put back together, a broken piece of uh, pottery that's put back together like this one, it literally becomes more valuable than the original unbroken piece. And I think there's a lot of truth for us in this idea that uh, God can take the broken places of all of our lives, and when he starts to put it back together, our lives actually become more valuable than they ever would have been without that. So, uh, so here's where I want to kind of focus today. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8 is where I want to start. Hebrews 2, 8 says, uh, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. In other words, I talked about this last week, uh, that God has given authority to man, to mankind. And for in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that's not subject to him. But now we don't, we do not yet see all things subjected to him. So we're being given a divine authority, but yet it's now, but not quite yet. But we still carry that spirit of royalty and godly authority in life. It says we don't see all things subjected yet, but, verse 9, we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10 is kind of where I really want to drill down and focus. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things 
through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, it is easy in church life, and we do it, and I love doing it. We celebrate the resurrection. I mean, you know, we celebrate the fact that Jesus conquered the devil. And, yeah, amen. He overcame death, hell, and the grave, and uh, he just showed the devil who's really the boss of the situation. And we celebrate that, and we should, and we sing songs about it, and we shout, and we sing. But I want to draw our attention to something that I think is, uh, is pretty important. The resurrection is a powerful event, but literally Jesus' victory for us was one on the cross. And ultimately, our healing has flowed through his wounds. So the healing that God wanted to send into the planet, by his stripes, we were healed. The Bible says by his chastisement, we can receive peace. By him bearing the rebellion of man, we can receive forgiveness. So in other words, Jesus suffered, Jesus bore wounds, but what really happened is God's healing to us flowed through those wounds. And, and I believe that's the way God works in all of life. There's a young lady who is a, a popular right now or well-known, and her name is Christine Kane. And uh, she's got a, she's a really uh, profound minister, gospel preaches all over the world. Uh, but, she, but one of the most important things Christine Kane has done that's way beyond her getting on a platform and speaking is that she's built a ministry called A21. And A21 is a ministry that helps rescue people who have become enslaved or in the sex slavery industry, people who are being trafficked uh, in the sex slavery industry. And she has now built, over the last few years, quite a few offices and quite a few places around the world where people have been able to be rescued and then go through a recovery and, and you know, be able to come back to life. What really started all this for her was, as a child, she was sexually abused. And the pain of that made her so highly sensitive to the pain that these children were experiencing in sex slavery that she said, I got to rise up and do something about this. I can't let them experience the kind of pain I experienced as a kid. And God took the very area that she was wounded in, touched that area with his healing love and power, and now his grace flows through her wounds to bring freedom to lots of people in the earth.
You would probably have heard of Tony Robbins, or maybe you haven't, but Tony Robbins is a a big uh, name in the motivational, psychological breakthrough, uh, really a great thinker and a great guy uh, in many ways. And uh, Tony Robbins grew up in an extremely poor family situation that often found them with not enough to eat. And uh, I've heard him more than once tell the story of a Thanksgiving where they literally had no food to eat for Thanksgiving, and a neighbor knew about their situation, brought them food so they could have a Thanksgiving. And he tells the story about, uh, about what it felt like, the shame of not having enough to eat and uh, the pain of not having enough to eat. And he said, you know, when, when they brought us that, it, it gave us a piece of dignity. Uh, it gave us something to eat. And it was an incredible experience. He said, and I vowed that if I ever had the chance to make a difference for somebody else, that I would do the same. And now, Tony Robbins partners with an organization called Feeding America that last year, in one year, they fed 100 million meals in a year. Now, I'm saying to you, that was an area where he experienced pain, where he experienced wounding, but he decided to let something great happen in his life that now is producing meals for a hundred million people. Our sufferings are not intended to destroy us, but to develop us. Every one of us has a place in our life where the enemy has intended to wound our soul. And I'm here today to announce to you that the way God works in life is he wants to flow his healing through your very point of pain. And I don't know where your pain is today, but all I know is this, you do have one. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have a piece of pain in their story, a piece of pain in their past, a piece of pain in their present. And often a key to your destiny is locating your point of pain. It's, it's finding out what bothers you, what makes you concerned, what makes you say, I got to do something about this. Uh, That's how you can usually find out where your ministry really is. If we can receive God's love and God's help in our places of pain and our places of suffering, your ministry can be born. 2 Corinthians kind of gives us a, a little more insight into this idea. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So what God does in us, we can pass on to somebody else. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. It's, it's, a, 
it's, it's a good piece of theology. It's a good piece of, of understanding the way life works. It's to realize that God's healing often flows through wounds. It flowed through the wounds of Jesus and will also flow through our wounds. I discovered that an experienced heart is a better heart. Uh, you know, when you first hear about uh, the fact that God's for you, that you can, uh, you know, stand in faith, you can declare words and direct your life with it, it's like, it's all, it's all big and shiny. But the truth is, what needs to happen is our shield of faith, when the Bible actually talks about the shield of faith in Ephesians 6, it draws a picture of not a shiny brand new shield, but a shield that has been beat and battered and scarred. And it's like, that's the real kind of faith. Not the kind of faith that has quit, but the kind of faith that, is, that has gone through a few battles, that has gone through a few valleys, that has gone through a few winters. And I've discovered that an experienced heart, a heart that's been hurt and then healed, is actually a better heart. A heart that's experienced some pain and then has been touched by the love of God in that place of pain is a better heart. Hurt hearts that have been healed are better hearts. Now, I want to I make sure we're clear about this idea. Hurt people hurt people. So when people are not able to resolve the pain in their heart, they end up passing that pain on. But healed people heal people. And touched people touch people. And so to... To be usable by God is to understand that, yes, I've experienced pain. Yes, I've experienced a wound. Yes, I've experienced the hardship of life. But I've let God do something inside of me that allowed me to be healed. Because if I get hurt and I don't get healed, I just perpetuate more hurt. But if I get hurt and I get healed, I can now release God's comfort, God's power, God's grace and love. Anybody with me on this? So, oh, amen, go ahead. So I want to talk about uh, some keys that I think are effective and important that will help us get our hearts healed from the inevitable pain that everyone faces in life. The first one is forgiveness. Forgiveness. <laughs> Somebody just went, oh, uh, forgiveness. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Uh, um, next verse. Uh, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So you've got this flip side of bitterness, wrath, slander, anger, malice, or kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. It, it's the 180 from each other. And it talks about this idea of bitterness. Hebrews 12 says, See to it that no one's come short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness 
springing up causes trouble. And by it, many, not just you, many will be defiled. Unforgiveness, unforgiven hurts eventually grow into bitterness. And the Bible says a root of bitterness can settle into our heart, settle into our spirit. The, uh, the Greek idea is like an acrid or bad taste in your mouth. When, when you've got a bad taste in your mouth, everything tastes bad. It poisons your spirit, and everything that eventually flows out of you has the tinge of bitterness in it. Everybody in the room has been hurt. No matter how nice a person you are, no matter how friendly a person you are, no matter how upstanding you are, everyone's been hurt by someone somewhere. A parent has hurt you, a, a friend has hurt you, a coworker may have hurt you, a boss may have hurt you, a teacher, a, a pastor. In other words, if you've ever been in a relationship, you've been hurt. I always think it's, it's kind of an unusual thing when somebody goes, well, I've been hurt in church, so I've been hurt by church, so I'm not going back to church because somebody hurt me in church. And when I go, well, duh, church is full of people who are just as imperfect as you. And, and they may have never even decided they were going to hurt you, but somehow or another, you got hurt. And so people will bail on church because they got hurt by a person in church. It's, it's kind of like what people say, I, want, I, don't, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites there. And I go, well, there's hypocrites at the grocery store. There's hypocrites in Panther Stadium. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. Thousands, maybe tens of thousands. Sitting there hoping somehow their team might win. <laughs> God, God, forgive me. No. <laughs> My point is you can get hurt anywhere. At work, at church, in family, and you can't let the hurt that somebody else put on you or the hypocrisy of somebody else Decide what you're going to do with your life. Let's face it. When we get hurt, it hurts. That's profound. You can write that in your notes. Hurt causes heart damage. And hurt people end up hurting other people. Even though they hate it, unresolved hurt keeps perpetuating itself. The root of bitterness by many are defiled. So people who got abused when they were growing up 
often will end up abusing even though they despised being abused when they were growing up. And we all have this option in front of us to either harbor what has happened and hold on to it, or we have the option of allowing God to heal us. Short-term, harboring seems easier. Short-term, harboring actually feels a little more fun, right? Somebody does you wrong, and you just kind of stir it over and over in your head. Can you believe she said that to me? And then you have a pity party, and you just hope anybody will come to your pity party. And usually the only people that will come to a pity party are pitiful people. And then you have a rehearsal party where we get to rehearse that horrible church or that horrible person or this horrible thing. And at first it seems like, yeah, it's fun. It feels good to relive it. And yeah, I'm right and they're wrong. But eventually, harboring that hurt turns into a damaged heart, turns into a heart that's cynical, turns into a heart that can't trust anybody, turns into a heart that's resentful toward every man, turns into a heart that's bitter, a heart that gets closed in, it gets shut down. Nobody's getting in this place anymore. I'm saying to you, forgiveness will set your soul free. It's interesting to me that this Ephesians verse says, let all bitterness get it put away from you. Because I found that bitterness is not content until it swallows up the air. It swallows up. It, it comes, bitterness, th- this verse tells us, comes with a family. It, it says, put away all bitterness, put away wrath, which is an explosive, outward rage. Somebody who blows up, you don't even know why they, they don't even know why they blow up. But they blow up, they're mad, they throw stuff, they just yell, they, they're, they're just, they, there's wrath. And then there's anger, which is not explosive, but implosive. And it's this, it's this seething, inward, mad at the government, mad at the president, mad at the boss, mad at the church, mad at everybody. And, and what they tell us is that depression is often anger that just got turned inward. So disappointed, so discouraged, can't believe everybody's like that, can't believe every, every, everybody's like that. It says put away clamor. That's part of the bitterness family. Clamor. Yelling, shouting, and really the big idea is an argumentative spirit. This is the guy that's got to get in the Facebook argument. D-U-M-Dumb. 
<laughs> but how many of you know there are some people, they are just contrary. They're always contrary. They're, they can't cooperate. They can't get along. I'm telling you, that is a damaged heart. There's slander. Just put slander away. Slander is when you start talking about somebody behind their back in a way that you wouldn't talk about them in front of their face. And you're talking about them with a view to destroy their reputation, to destroy their character. And I've found that if bitter people can't control you, then they will try to control other people's view of you and get you on their side. Slander always starts with, I'm going to build my case. Why they're so awful. Why this is so bad. Why this shouldn't be this way. And can I just encourage you to forsake that as a practice? Because you can build a case against anything, anybody, anywhere. And what happens is when you start building cases against something or someone, it kind of justifies your feelings of resentment at first, but I promise you, it won't stay just on that one person. And soon, you become an expert at building a case against everyone who's not exactly you. It says to put away malice. This is part of the bitterness family. Put wishing malice, wishing ill on someone, you know, hoping something bad happens to them in the name of Jesus, of course, but <laughs> So verse 32 says this, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. What a great angle. How did God forgive you? Well, I will say this. God never said, oh, don't worry about it. There's nothing wrong with that. That is not how God forgave any of us. God said, I'm going to let my son bear the penalty for what you did wrong, but I'm not calling wrong right. And if we're going to forgive others the way God's forgiven us, then please don't misunderstand. Forgiveness is not looking at what they did wrong and saying, well, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. Baloney, there is something wrong with that. I think sometimes when people think about forgiving, they, they think, well, I'm just giving in to them. I'm just letting evil win in this situation. But I want to I have you take a different angle and understand, you're never more in control than when you forgive. You, forgiveness is not an act of a weak person. Forgiveness is not weakness. Forgiveness is immense strength. We're not just blindly forgiving and saying, oh, well, here, just roll over this side of me now. Forgiveness is recognizing maybe what they did was wrong, but I'm not going to carry that into every new job, every new relationship, every new church, every new place I live. 
I'm, I'm going to urge you to, to get big enough on the inside to take your life out of their hands and put your life into God's hands. Just they did you wrong. They're stupid. We agree. Let them go. And don't keep carrying them around. What anyone does wrong to me cannot ultimately be greater than God's ability to work in my life. So someone may have done wrong to you uh, in the past, but I just, I, just, I just want to encourage you to understand, don't keep carrying it around with you. Forgive. Let go of the slander, the malice, the anger, the, the whole nine yards. Don't let it keep hurting you. It's like one person said, unforgiveness is like swallowing poison and then waiting for the other person to die. Anybody remember the uh, actor, comedian, Buddy Hackett? Anybody know Buddy Hackett? That's, how, that's, that's all the old people in the room. We know who Buddy Hackett is. Buddy Hackett was a funny guy. He was in the uh, what was it, Herbie movies, yeah, and all that. Yeah, and uh, I never thought of him as profound until I heard him say this. He said, you know, everybody that's ever done me wrong, I've just realized this. I got to go ahead and forgive them because while I'm sitting there stewing, over what they did, they're having fun at a party without me. They're out having fun, and you're still thinking about it. How about you start having fun? Let them stew over it. I think the second thing that can bring healing to our hearts, to our hurt hearts, is faith. That is a real trust of our life into God's hands. Hebrews 10, verse 39 says, we're not of those who shrink back to destruction, but we are of those who have faith, everybody say faith, faith. to the preserving of our soul. Faith, trust in God. When you can't figure it out, when you don't know what the next step is, when you don't know how to fix the situation, I promise you, faith, lean into God, Trust in God will preserve your soul. Everything that life, come on, everything that life throws at us, your soul can take a beating. I mean, come on. It's like your emotions or, you know, and your, your, your mind, your will. You're trying to sort it all out. And enough people, enough hurts, enough disappointments, enough discouragement, enough betrayals, enough rip-offs, heart deferred makes the heart sick and you know you go through all this kind of stuff it could start to damage your heart and you can't you can't get it all figured out in your head sometimes many times your best move is just put your life in God's hands Every moment, every day. First Peter 2 says this, you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, while people talked bad about him, 
He did not revile in return while suffering. He uttered no threats. And look, I love this. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus kept entrusting himself to the management of his father's care. If you, if you want your heart to get better, you're not going to work it out in your head. You just got to keep unloading your life into the hands of God. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares on him. He cares for you. I, I love it in the message, verse 5 and 6 and 7. Be content with who you are. Don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you. Everybody say, God's strong hand is on me. Come on, even if you don't believe it, just say it. God's strong hand is on me. He'll promote you at the right time. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. And then the third element I think that can help us for our hearts to be healed is the Father's love. The Father's love for us. A couple verses. Romans 8, verse 15 says, You've not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear, again, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, or Daddy, Father. Galatians 4, uh, verse 6, Because you're sons, God sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 1 John 3, 1 See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. There's something, you know what? Whenever somebody falls in love, something happens to their soul. You notice that? Like, something happens. It's a good thing. And there's something amazing and healing about being touched by the love of God, about a recognition that God, who is totally over everything, who is totally self-sufficient, who is totally capable, who really, in reality, doesn't need me at all, that God loves you like a great dad. I mean, he, he cares for you. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. In other words, God has specific love for your fear. God has specific love for your pain. And I don't know what your pain is. Maybe it's a sense of rejection. Maybe somebody abused you. Maybe somebody did you wrong at work. I don't know what it has been. But can I just say to you, there's a God who loves you. There's a God who's for you. And if you will just entrust yourself into his care, it will heal your soul. I think everybody in this room has suffered somewhere. We've all been wounded somewhere. Here's what I love about our God. He doesn't say, come on, man, pony up. Get it together. No, the Bible says that Jesus bore suffering 
to release God's healing into our world. And I want to pray with you today. I want you to bow your heads, please, and I want you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I'm trusting you to go way beyond my words, to touch every heart in this room. Lord, to, to heal us, to help us, to eventually use us for your kingdom's sake. God, I'm praying for you to go into secret places, deep places, dark places, and bring your healing into every person's life. While your head is bowed, everyone around the room, your eyes are closed, I just want to give you a moment here. We're, gonna, we're just about done with this meeting. Maybe you've never just entrusted yourself into the hands of Jesus. Maybe you thought it was all about, I got to behave better. And I, I'm just here to tell you, it is not about your behavior, it's about your heart. It's about your trust. He'll work on the behavior, don't worry about that. Maybe you're here today, you've never just surrendered to Jesus to be the Lord of your life. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and the reality is there was a day when you used to be close to God, closer than you are today. You know you're not where you want to be, where you used to be, where you could be, where you should be. This is a great day for us to come home. Or maybe you feel just unsure. Nobody's looking around. I just want you to be able to open up your heart to God. I want to pray with you. And if that's you, you say, Pastor, I, I, I need to just surrender to Jesus. I need to come back. I, I, just, I want to be sure. Would you pray with me? I want you to lift your hand real high all over this room and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? Come on, everywhere, all around the room. Thank you. Anybody says, yes, I want God. Yes, I want to surrender to him. Yes, I want to give my life to him. Anybody else that just says, wants to say yes. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray this prayer together. That's for everybody that lifted their hand. It's really for all of us. I'd like for us all to pray it. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I open my life to your love, to your lordship. I need you. I want you in my world as my Lord. I know I've sinned. I come to the cross where you've paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start, a new beginning as I surrender to you. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, can we thank the Lord?